Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Wow, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about agriculture in education on today's show, which I think is kind of fun because not only are we talking about, hey, where can farmers get education, but talking about how about how about younger folks out there? How about elementary schools? How about high schools? How about college? And uh, we've actually got at least one student that will be on the show today. And if you are interested in talking about this subject, agriculture in education, it really doesn't matter what your age is. We would love to hear from you today. Our phone lines are going to be open throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, but it should be a fun discussion one way or the other. You know, speaking about fun, when you see... If you're a grain farmer, when you see the market prices doing what they do uh, lately, wow, it's been fun thinking about, you know, hey, I could actually make money at this farming thing. That would be a lot nicer than just putting in all the work and and not really having anything to show for it. I had lunch today with a group of folks, including a dairy farmer, and we were just talking about that a little bit. And certainly he's watching these markets as well when he's in the spot of needing to buy grain and buy silage and hay and so forth. It's it's a little different side of the coin that, hey, we know prices are going to be up for my feed. So I got to manage things smartly for my operation. And, you know, when I think about it, I just compared to our own operation. So we don't own livestock right now. We just have the grain farming that we're doing. And I think about for the dairy farmer, he's he's looking at corn and silage as his input costs. And you know what? Hey, we're in a time where my input costs are going up. I got to try to lock things in at a reasonable price so I can make a profit. And I know when the board looks great for grains, that a lot of times when I talk to farmers, I'm hearing, well, here's the price that I need to get to that I can lock in some new crop. Here's the price that I need to get to for my goals for my old crop corn that I've got in the bin. And that's wonderful because the grain is certainly one piece of this thing. But let's not forget about those input costs. The fertilizer prices have been going up already, and we certainly anticipate seeing crop input prices in general going up. We think a lot of the crop protection products right now have been very competitive in prices, and the sales have been pretty fast-paced. We look for those companies to start changing those prices soon. And I know we can't say it enough. Make sure you're covering yourself on the input costs, especially if you're locking in what you're going to get for your grain at the end of the year. I remember back when corn first broke through $3 and we were so used to getting $2 a bushel for our corn or even less. And it's not that long ago that that happened. And I remember saying to Brian and Brian agreeing with me, which is also unusual, but I remember saying to Brian, wow, $3 corn brand. Can you imagine if we could just get $3 a bushel for our corn every year? Well, what's happened since then is all the input prices went up so much that, you know what, $3 may not cover the costs anymore just because of the change in economics. So you need to look at this year's production and lock in as many of this year's costs as you can. I had, I've had, well, from more than one farmer already has said, wow, oh boy, I can see cash rents going up in my area because of this. 
But here's the challenge. Let's just say that you look at the board and you say, man, $14 in the board for soybeans. I sold mine at $9 or $10 in the fall. You're not alone. A lot of farmers did that. And now all of a sudden, just like we were saying, land, landlords are going to look at those prices and say, man, you're getting $14 for your beans. You can afford to pay me a little more for cash rent. Well, who's getting $14 for the beans? Not that many guys. Apparently, there were a lot of beans sold at harvest time. And you may find yourself in those those situations too. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't cash in with a good price this next fall. And that's what I'd be concerned about rather than looking back at, oh man, I didn't make the best marketing decision for this year. Well, who did? You know, there are certainly some folks that have, but there are plenty of folks that didn't. And all we can do is try and lock in our prices on our inputs at the best level that we can, and then focus on return on investment. We're going to talk about education today on our show. You really do have to educate yourself every year as a farmer because every year is different. And I was chatting with uh, this dairy group this morning, and they were just talking about, you know, in our industry, there's a lot of guys who do things the same way they've always been done. And I said, you know, it's really no different when it comes to raising corn or raising soybeans or raising wheat. There's a lot of folks and and ourselves, Brian and me included, that get caught up in, well, this is how we've always done it in the past, or this is the timing that we've done things in the past. With a little bit more education on some things, I mean, there's always new things coming. Maybe there are opportunities to just switch things up a little bit or tweak that operation just a little bit. And that's one of the things that we're talking about today. And it starts with that education piece and learning new information and trying to figure out, okay, what can I do to get a better return on investment? Because we get these years like this where commodity prices are up and we'll hear from farmers that will send us emails or even call into the show or just people that we talk to every day that'll say, all right, what else can I invest in on my crop this year? Well, I think the thing that we want to look at rather than just uh, how can how can I spend some more money because I'm making a little more money is just simply look at return on investment. And yes, this year, if you locked in input prices low, there's a lot of things that could give you a good return on investment. But we want to check into that every year on everything that we're doing on the farm so we can ultimately do the right thing for the environment, do the right thing for our crop and the right thing for our pocketbook, too. So on Ag PhD today, we're going to talk about ag and education. I mentioned before, our phone lines will be open throughout today. If you're a student and you'd love to talk about what you're learning in ag education or what you hope to learn, please feel free to give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. We encourage you to do so. Our email box, radio at agphd.com, is always available as well. So if you say, ah, I'm not one to maybe talk on live radio. It's really not hard. We're just having conversations here among friends, uh, but you can certainly email us as well. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. 
It's about time. Applied at Planning, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enfuro Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about ag in education today. Let's start off in our home state here of South Dakota. Got Cindy Larson with us right now with South Dakota Ag in the classroom. Cindy, thanks for joining us today. Good afternoon. How are you guys? Well, pretty good. You know, when I was growing up, ag was just like an assumed thing. And I, it was, <laughs> I'm going to go to school. There's going to be ag classes I'm going to take. But, boy, we just can't take that for granted anymore. No, not anymore. Um, it's actually fewer and farther between that that's actually taking place, even in South Dakota. Okay, so talk to us about that. Why is that? Is it just that there are so many required classes, there's not room, or is there no funding for it? What's the challenge? Well, I could say both and, both and actually. One, there are so many state standards and, and whatnot that our teachers are just inundated with all the time. But the other thing is, if you want to get that in front of the students, you've got to link it to a curriculum area that is usable for teachers so that they can seamlessly integrate it. And with the South Dakota Ag in the Classroom, the road trip program that we've got going right now, the link to South Dakota history and and that type of education works as a perfect marriage to be able to do that. And again, it does come down to funding because so many of the other areas are, are looking at more of the STEAM or STEM-based activities where you can turn around ag from that aspect too and really be showing them the advancements in ag and what's taking place now and in the future yeah knowing what i know about ag it, there is so much technology being used and so much science it seems like this should be a fit but maybe we just need to reclassify things instead of taking uh, ag one or something like that we need to talk about the science of ag or or different topics and you mentioned history obviously history plays in as well and i i think just in my lifetime, how many big events have changed in agriculture in our state, there, there is a lot of history to share too. 
There is. And I mean, if you think about even just South Dakota as a state and how we came to be and the different landscapes that South Dakota encompasses, it's fraught with history. And the fact that you can marry those two stories and that South Dakota's um, economy is driven by ag um, is, is a natural marriage. And I think, too, you've got to be able to Sent it in a way where every student finds themselves within that tapestry and in that story. For some, it's going to be the computers, the coding, um, production, those types. But for others, it's going to be maybe the storytelling and the the marketing and and that, along with the food production and the care of animals and and livestock and commodities. Yeah, it's a diverse topic, no doubt about that. <laughs> there there are so many things. I, I just think about, you mentioned the computers and the coding mm-hmm. and all the technical end of things. And I see so many young people getting involved in farming today. And this is one of the areas where I know a lot of existing farmers say, man, it's changing so fast. I need an influx of, of young talent coming into this industry mm-hmm. and, and into my operation. This seems like a great opportunity for kids. It is, and I think that there is an intrinsic work ethic that our farmers and ranchers and those involved in the ag field really understand. Um, I think in some ways, because we're so tied to our screens, kind of gets lost on this generation, but I can see that maybe coming full circle as they're beginning to understand that it is it is hard work and it's dedication and it's faith that drives drives your process and drives your product in the end. Well, and the hard work is a little bit different. And I remember growing up on the farm, <laughs> working in a livestock operation, there was a, a lot of hard physical work. And you yeah. mentioned that some of this hard work today is a lot more mental work. And you may be on a computer or looking at a screen, but when you're going through yield maps or soil fertility variable rate applications or variable population maps for a planter to execute, there, there are just so many technical things now that, that people can work hard on. Yeah, and that's, it's, an, it's amazing to think of the mental acuity, but just the amount of mathematics and geography and the, the nod to the sciences that our students have to be at. And how neat of an opportunity it is for those students to be teaching the generation, such as ourselves, that grew up on the hard work, the hard physical manual labor, that there are other ways to do it. And maybe to to kind of see where the compromise middle ground is to understand both of those viewpoints and and aspects of going about things. All right, Cindy, we've got a young man who has been involved with South Dakota (laughs) Ag in the classroom. I'm going to bring him on right now as well. We've got Cooper on with us. Cooper, I believe you're a fourth grade student. Is that right? Um, Fifth grade. Fifth grade student now. All right. Talk to us a little bit about Ag in the classroom and why you're so passionate about this. Um, I'm so passionate about egg in the classroom because I like how it's teaching kids that don't know a lot about agriculture, um, how ag works and where their food comes from and how everything. You know, you mentioned kids that don't know much about agriculture. And I know for me growing up, when I was in fifth grade, one of the fun things for my friends who lived in town to do was stay overnight on the farm with me and then go out and do some livestock chores in the morning. They really enjoyed that. Do you find some of your friends that live in town wanting to come out to the farm, maybe at harvest time or maybe to see some livestock things and just learn a little more? Yes, I do have a few friends that are interested and want to be a farmer when they grow up. And 
uh, I think that South Dakota Ag in the Classroom can encourage more of that. Yeah, I think I think so too. I I think we need a lot more young people coming back to the farm. Now, Cooper, we were talking with Cindy about how there's so many technical things now with yield monitors and all the programs that farmers are running. Is that one of the areas that excites you? Um, yes, that is one of the that excites me and um, maybe can excite other kids because of uh, all the screens that everybody's involved with these days. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's so much different from just a few years ago that that it's pretty exciting. So, do you end up helping out your folks on that a lot? Yes, I do, and it's kind of a I teach them, they teach me thing. That's awesome. I would love to have you come here and teach Brian a few things too. That sometimes, you know, these guys, Cooper, I don't know if you've noticed this, but as they get older, maybe they're resistant to change just a little bit. So that's good that you're able to work with your parents a lot. All right. Brian's just smiling over here. I don't know if he's going to jump in on me, but uh, so Cooper, what's your favorite (laughs) thing to raise? Do you like livestock the best? Do you like crops the best? What's the most fun? Um, well, it really depends. Crops are probably my favorite because learning how to grow them and um, learning more about the plant and the soil. Sure. Yeah, I like crops too. When I was growing up, though, I really, really like livestock. I just love seeing little baby animals and trying to, to help them grow. That was a fun thing. And I didn't really understand how much you could do in the crops at that point, but I've sure gotten to learn that over the years. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that now too. When, when you grow up, what is your hope, Cooper? Are you planning on going to an agricultural college? Are you planning on getting right back on the farm? What's your plan? Um, I don't really have a college picked out, but I, I, my plan is to go to college and probably learn a little more in the ag monitors and then get back out in the farming world. Oh, that is so fun. Cooper, that's that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that with us. And, and Cindy, you, it's got to be really exciting for you to work with folks like Cooper. Yeah, it is. You know, I'm sitting over here actually doing a little dance in my in my office because we got to spend time with Cooper. We've gotten to watch him kind of grow up and I listen to his answers and I fist bump my my coworker because it's so articulate. It's so indicative of the kind of education and students that we have all across South Dakota um, that we've actually Cooper was one of the students that helped us launch a whole kid teacher in their uh, in their field video series on a YouTube channel. So these are the kiddos that are inspiring the, the technology and the dreams and the hopes of the next generation. So Absolutely. It's pretty amazing. Where can we find that information, Cindy? Well, you can go to our website, which is uh, groundworks-midwest.com, and you can find our links there. Otherwise, if you want to go ahead and take a look at sdroadtrip.org, that's our online agricultural and history curriculum that's we're working with so stroadtrip.com awesome cindy larson and cooper thank you so much we really appreciate having both of you on thanks much stay tuned we will be right back after this as a little girl i always wanted to run the combine because it meant i was helping dad And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters. 
that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker treated nitrogen. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Wow. If you missed the last segment, Cooper was fantastic. We had a fifth grader talking about ag in the classroom and how important that is to him. Now, man, we got more great guests. We got Christy Meyer with us with the National FFA Organization. Christy, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, I think I heard, just heard a future FFA member on the show earlier, and you got to be excited when you've got young people like that that see all the potential in agriculture. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's one of the great things about my job is talking to all these FFA members across the country and realizing that they are our future. It just ensures me that we are in really good hands. You know, uh, we had Cindy Larson on with South Dakota Ag in the Classroom, and she was just talking about when you think about the agricultural curriculum, 
we could pretty much just teach agriculture classes and we'd have it covered. We've got computers and technical things. We've got uh, about everything that you want to talk about in STEM programming, marketing. We've got just tons of stuff here. Where do you even start? Yeah, it's you know it's it's funny that you start that way. So many in our regular media talk to us about production agriculture, and I tell them, you know, you have to realize that agriculture is in every single thing we do, right? Like from the food we eat to the clothes we wear to the automobiles that we drive, and there's more than 250 careers in agriculture. So truly, teaching agriculture will prepare us for everything. Now, one thing that that I think about when I I think back at at my time in the FFA is speech and communications and all the things that we did from from prepared speeches to just, here you go, come up with a speech quickly and let's see how good you can do. Those types of things were really a big, big deal for me. And now here I am on a radio show every day, and I, I never saw that coming. FFA definitely helped me out with that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's funny, we also have a lot of people who've been in FFA who now are in politics, right, or advocating. We really talk about how our members can advocate for agriculture and the things that they're really interested in. And then the other thing that we really see our students doing is becoming a member of their community and giving back in service. Service is such a big part of what we do. And we see that every day of people finding new ways to give back to their community and to help, especially recently with this more difficult time that we've been going through. Now, now, certainly you mentioned there are over 250 careers in agriculture. I think you're selling it short. I think there's even more than that. But when you think about FFA, when I was growing up, it was all about, hey, these are the guys or and gals that want to be farmers someday. That's not necessarily the case. It's not you have to be thinking, oh, I'm going to be a farmer down the road to be in the FFA now. Oh, absolutely. You know, you talked a little bit about STEM, and we see that all the time. The technology that our students are studying, the virtual realities that they're working on, that all still can relate to agriculture in some way. You know, whether it be drones or biotechnology, there's so much opportunity out there. And you're right. They say there's 250 careers, but there's so much more that agriculture can do. The other thing that I've really liked with FFA over the years, I know when when I was involved, which is getting to be a long time back, I would say we were male-dominated at that time. And by the time I was out of college, I would not say that was the case anymore. There was a big switch, and I, I wonder if there aren't even more female members in FFA now. Where do you see with the diversity in FFA? Yeah, so interesting enough, I believe we're at 52% male, Um, so there's still a few more male in FFA, but in terms of leadership positions, we're really seeing female um, coming along in terms of taking more leadership positions in the organization, and we're also seeing that suburban and urban are becoming very involved with FFA. We're in 22 of the 25 largest cities in the United States. And it just goes to show that so many people understand that agriculture has so much opportunity, right? So it's not what people might stereotype. There's just a lot for everybody. And it's one of the things that we like to say is we're creating a better future for all. That's what our FFA members are doing. Well, I know 2020 it was certainly a challenging year, but I, I would imagine with the, the communications that, that take place with FFA and the leadership opportunities, there's still great opportunities there. What do you see going into 2021? I'm sure you learned a lot of lessons in 2020. 
Yeah, you know, I think the biggest lesson that I learned in 2020 is that our FFA members are resilient. They're resilient and they're creative. Um, so many schools um, had to close, right, and go online. And what we saw were our members taking that opportunity to figure out how they could become a bigger part of their community and how they could give back. We had examples here in Indiana. This is where our headquarters are. We had a chapter just north of the city work with local um, pork producers and dairy producers to help them out and then also help the food bank. So they encouraged the community to purchase, and then they took those purchases and gave them to the local food bank so they could help people in need. And we saw that throughout the country. We saw our members stepping up and saying, how can I make a difference? How can I take what I've learned and help be a part of my community? So really what we see in 2021 is that resilience just continuing, right? We see a lot of our students figuring out how can I adapt and take everything I learned and not only apply it, but share it with others. Yeah, the service projects, I I know when I think about all the contests and the national meetings and different things that I got to go to in my years in FFA, but it's the community service projects that really stand out in my mind. I think about all the things that our local chapter was able to do and, and other great chapters in our state and neighboring states. We saw just tremendous projects. These kids have got so much talent and just just this go-get-it attitude. It, it's just so fun to be around. And we're talking with Christy Meyer with the National FFA Organization. Christy, I, I just can't say enough about what a positive impact FFA was for Brian and me, and I know it is in our local communities as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's such a pleasure to be able to work with these students, and not just the FFA students, but the FFA advisors, right? They're the heart and soul of these FFA chapters to really guide these students of where they're going. And we're so grateful, too, to all of our FFA alumni and supporters, because if it wasn't for our alumni and supporters, you know, where would we be? Well, Christy, thank you so much. We really appreciate the work that you're doing on behalf of the FFA. Thanks for being on our show today, and good luck here in 2021. Thanks. We appreciate it. Yeah, when it comes to ag education, I just, I, I, I'm so thankful that there is still a lot of good ag education out there because there's so much terrible information in the media and just on the internet in general. And that's the problem today is how much are we really focusing on what's coming out of the classroom versus think about all the information that's disseminated through all these other media sources. Just you pick up your phone. Everybody's holding a phone now. Kids, everybody has got a phone. And you're getting constant information there. And unfortunately, most of it is negative toward agriculture. It's it's terrible, in my opinion. So we, as farmers, have to be more involved, in my opinion, and number one, we got to learn what's actually going on. And number two, we just have to share it. And I realize you may be shy about talking to others about these things. I'm not saying you have to go talk to the national media or anything like that, but it starts just one person at a time. And so when you're talking to some non-farmer who has some, they've gotten some bad information about agriculture, you know, we just, we, we have to try to talk that through with them. And I will say that from the the surveys that I've seen here in the last half dozen years or so, the general public does believe information when it comes directly from farmers. So you as a farmer carry a lot of weight. So I mean, don't discount that. 
And yes, here on the show, we're talking a lot about things like biotechnology, GMOs, um, Roundup, and pesticide safety, food safety, water quality, tiling, things that for the most part get a bad rap out there, but they shouldn't. And so we're trying to provide good information, but in some cases it's hard because there are so many negative stories about agriculture. We just have to do more. All right. Well, once again, today we've been talking about ag in education, and we're going to get to some of your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. If you have a question for us, you can certainly call us here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That number again is 844-442-4743, or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of Burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your Burndown. When it comes to commanding herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Panther SC, an animal when it comes to speed of control and long residual on a broad spectrum of tough broadleaf weeds like mare's tail, palmer amaranth, and water hemp. And did we mention convenience? Panther SC works in pre-plant, pre-emerge, and post-harvest systems and keeps your rotation options open. New Farm and Panther SC, here to help. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. 
come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Got a number of questions coming in here to the Ag PhD mailbag. We want to dive into some of those. And of course, our phone lines are open throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD. Get this one from Charlie, and he said, I farm in central Minnesota, and I am trying to better understand how to correct low pH in some of my fields. Recently, I ran across uh, the highlighted section below directly from my state's agricultural university, talking about dolomitic versus calcitic lime. And they said the results are clear. The ratio of calcium to magnesium in soils has not had any effect on crop yield in the northern Corn Belt. Well, they're wrong. I've also read Neil Kinsey's book and in the process of reading Dr. William Albrecht's books. And this seems to be in direct contrast from what they recommend. So I'm wondering what your experience is. Okay, well, your university is wrong because the calcium-magnesium thing does make a difference. And here's how you can prove this in your farm. Because you don't need to listen to me or listen to any expert or university. Just get your own data. That's what we've done. So basically for the last three years now, we have gone out and done our grid soil sampling like we usually do, only we're down to one acre grids now, just not that everybody has to do that, but we do that so we have lots of data points. But anyway, then we look at each grid point and what's the yield right there? And then we've got all the fertility data along with yield. And then we just chart it out. And I can show you our information from the last few years. And I do, like at our corn agronomy workshop, we just did this last week. And I showed everybody, hey, the sweet spot on this magnesium thing is in the 10 to 20% range. Look at where our yield is when we're in that range. Look at where our yield is when we're not in that range. So what we have found is... Is it the first thing I'm going to fix in the farm? No way. No way. You've got to get all the other stuff taken care of first. Fix your P and your K and your soil pH. Take care of your sulfur, your zinc, things like that. Okay, get all that done first. But then as the next step, so let's say you're already to 200, 250 bushel corn. Okay, now the next thing that I'm trying to fix is this calcium magnesium thing. Okay, so yes, I know Neil Kinsey will usually talk about that first, and there are some people that talk about it first. And I'm not saying don't start working on it a little bit, but don't spend yourself into bankruptcy just to try to fix your calcium magnesium thing. It's a, it, it is important, but it's not top of the list. It's not up there with N, P, and K. But over time, if you can get that calcium magnesium thing right, you absolutely will have better yields. We have lots and lots and lots of data to prove that. All right. Thanks for the question. Got this one from Chris in extreme northwest Missouri. And he said, basically, we're straight south of your farm, right down I-29. We've got a lot of hills and our CEC varies from 15 to 25 averages on the low end of that around 17. We typically fall apply anhydrous and our whole farm, just to give you an idea of, of what we're doing, our whole farm average over the last five years is 227 bushel corn and 67 bushel beans. So we've done a pretty good job with production, but we're always trying to get better. Our question for you is, what do you think about adding the ability to do two-by-two placement of fertility and also adding the ability to put fertilizer in furrow? We're a little concerned that that would slow us down in our planting operation, but we've got a brand new planter with hydraulic downforce and most of the other bells and whistles. 
Uh, just wondering what you think. Is this something we should consider based on our hilly ground with medium to heavy soils? What you, what they're describing is almost exactly our farm. Hilly ground. A little more extreme hills, but, but yeah, pretty yeah, close. Yeah. Yep. Yep. yeah, a little more extreme hills probably, um, at least on most of it. But anyway, medium textured, medium to heavy soil. And our dad also did not want to put anything in the planter because he's like, well, we have to plant early. We know that pays, and I agree 1,000%. You've got to plant early, and we don't want to be slowed down by things that we're doing on the planter. But there are ways to do it. So let's put it this way. What we've found over time is the two-by-two thing is not that big a deal if you're in the high fertility range for everything. Okay, so let's say you've got a lot of manure, you've used a lot of commercial fertilizer, whatever. You've got your, your soil test levels really high. If you don't have them really high, then that's where the 2 by 2 is going to pay a lot better. And actually, guys that are putting a lot of 2 by 2 on are going 2 by 2 on both sides of the row just to keep the salt content down on each side and to promote good root growth on both sides of the row. So that's our opinion on 2 by 2 on the in-furrow stuff that I'm going to do no matter what so I don't care if you've got the highest fertility levels in the world if you're planting early the soil's cold the fertility isn't available and your roots are tiny so I'm not saying you need much fertilizer in furrow but just a little bit use a little bit of a low salt product and we have found your crop emerges faster your crop dries down faster and you get just a little bit more yield. I'm not saying dramatically more, but you will get just a little bit more yield because you have a little bit faster nutrient availability. So we like the infurrow, but keep that rate low, and we actually blend it off with water as well. So we'll use, we really like the agro-liquid stuff, uh, so we'll use maybe a couple of gallons of that, maybe a quart or two of micronutrients, and then we'll blend it off with two or three gallons of water just to safen it even further. It's safe already, but we just want extra safety because we plant in super cold conditions and there's a lot of stress on that plant already. So we've got to make sure it's a low salt product and like I say, blend it off with water. So yeah, two by two, I, I, don't, I don't really see the need if you're in very high fertility. If you're not, then yeah, by all means you could do that. But the fertilizer and furrow, I'm always doing that. Even Francis Childs. And I know, uh, so years ago, Darren went to Francis's farm. He was the first guy in the U.S. raising over 400 bushel corn. He was still finding gain. Yeah. And he was still finding gain with fertilizer in furrow, even though his farm had basically been a dumping site for manure. So his fertility levels were off the charts, and he was still gaining by using in-furrow. Not a lot of product, not a lot of yield gain, but definitely faster emergence, drier corn, better stands. So, yeah, we like the in-furrow. All right, thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that, Chris, and good luck to you. Got this one uh, from Jordan in central Georgia. He wants to talk about herbicides for oats, Brian. Jordan said... All right, I'm growing 75 acres of oats for grain this year, and they're currently four to five inches tall. Oh, man. Jordan, you're making me jealous already. I wish I was in Georgia now. We've got probably four to five inches of snow out in our fields. Uh, okay, so he's got four to five inch tall oats now, and he said, I'd like to spray for broadleaves in the next few weeks here. Last year, I sprayed one pint per acre of a 240 amine product, and I had pretty good success. 
My question is, is there a better herbicide for me? Because I'm hearing that there could be a yield reduction from some injury with the 2,4-D. I'm targeting henbit, chickweed, and wild radish. And just wondering what I should do. Hey, Jordan, thank you so much. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. Thanks for clarifying, too. You're, you're really shooting for high grain yields here with these oats, and uh, hopefully they're looking good so far this spring. Okay, those are, well, henbit. I mean, we do a lot of work with henbit, but not chickweed. I mean, some, but wild radish, not very often. Uh, okay, so let me just tell you the products that would be labeled in oats. You've got Callisto or one of those mesotrione products, and usually that's the direction a lot of people go. There's also Sharpen pre-emerge. Uh, you can go post-emerge, Buctrel, Harmony Extra. You've got Stinger, Starane, Wide Match. Uh, MCP amine, MCP ester, curtail M. Yeah, we're not huge fans of those 2,4-D products uh, going post-emerge on oats. So, Especially as you push it along. If, you, if you're getting yeah. out there really, really early, then it's not as bad. And I, I agree with you. I think they would probably knock out your weeds if you get them when they're small. Well, pre-emerge sharpen is probably... Yeah, that's what we uh, would change. Now, obviously, yes. you got four to five inch tall oats, so it's too late for right. this year. But in the future, you really need to check into Starane. It's it's pretty fantastic. We like the burn down. We like having some Sharpen, residual. you mean. Sharpen, yep. Yeah. So, right. it, yeah, post-emerge. Uh, boy, I, uh, I'll i tell you what. We get we got to take yeah, a quick break. Uh, we'll finish up on that right after this. Okay, that sounds good. We'll be right back after this short break. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. I'll take predictability, where I can get it. With their CropWise Seed Selector, NK Seeds combines local knowledge and local data to show me where their seed fits. And even where it doesn't. Because out here, predictability is hard to come by. And success matters. Find your seed at nkseeds.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. 
Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Goose deck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. You know, we were talking about ag in education earlier today, and if you didn't catch the first part of the show, you may want to go back and, and listen to that later. You can catch it on our podcast, for example. We, we got to have a fifth grader on today, Cooper, who was just great, an awesome advocate for agriculture. He said he's got some friends that aren't even growing up on farms now that he's getting them pumped up that they want to be farmers. And, you know, all you have to do for, for kids in my experience has been just get them out to the farm. And most kids can see that, wow, we're doing some cool stuff. And it's not exactly what I expected out on the farm. I know Cooper had made the comment that one of the, the coolest things now was all the monitors that farmers have in the tractor cab and learning how to understand them. That technology piece is really exciting for young folks. So please make sure if you get a chance in your area with kids in your hometown or kids at your church or, or friends that have kids or relatives, get them out on your farm. Show them a little bit about what you're doing and, and light that fire underneath them. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag now. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. It's exactly what, what sh- um, I was going to say Shane, but not Shane. Did I? Uh, well, Jordan. our oats there, question. Jordan. Yes. Okay. yes, Jordan had sent us a question about oats. He's got four to five inch tall oats, which is a great time to get out there and spray for broadleaves. You've got a lot of different options, but yeah, we were saying one of the things that we would have done in hindsight is go back and use a pre-emerge herbicide. And then when you hear yep. weeds like henbit, you could have done that in the fall and gotten a, a jump on things with those winter annual type weeds. Now, I don't know Where's in Georgia. Georgia. Yeah. So, so that's the problem. You can't you do it. Yeah, it's it's completely different in Georgia because, okay, look, fall to us here in South Dakota basically means pre-winter and spring is post-winter. In between the fall and the spring, there is literally nothing growing. Nothing's changing. So here's my point. Uh, when we're out spraying in the fall, that herbicide residual is going to carry us until the spring because it literally sits there. Nothing breaks down. In Georgia, whole different. So anyway, with Sharpen, what we would suggest is spray it shortly before you you 
seed your oats, and that would be a great way to take out those three weeds that you mentioned, the henbit, the chickweed, and the wild radish. At this point, 2,4-D actually is probably the best thing you can do. I hate to say that. And the only reason why I say that too is because of the radish. Because Callista, I'd love to use Callista. It costs like $3. And then, you, or the, you know, you could use one of the generic mesotrions. But the point is, henbit and chickweed, you're going to take that out pretty easy. It's just the wild radish. The, the HPPDs just are not the best on wild radish. You could try it. If you don't have too many out there, you could go with that option. It's definitely, um, you might whiten the, the oats a little bit. It might look a little scary at first, but it's going to be fine. I actually prefer Callisto pre-emerge as opposed to post, but it can be used post. Otherwise, you certainly could go with uh, like an MCP amine or MCP ester or curtail them. All right, got an interesting question here. This one's from Ed in Indiana, and he's got in-furrow capabilities of applying either dry or liquid. And he said, I've been using dry mainly to apply insecticide, but I can put on my low-salt fertilizer. I can put on humic acid. I can also do zinc sulfate or manganese sulfate. The dry form of those nutrients is cheaper than the liquid. So I'm just wondering, would it be a good idea to put dry zinc and dry manganese in my furrow, or should I stick with no. my low-salt liquids? Uh, go with your low-salt liquids. Our concern gets to be anytime you're putting dry fertilizer out there, now you're pulling more seed or more water away from the seed potentially. So we are never a fan of dry fertilizer in furrow. Now, granted, if you had irrigation and you had plenty of water and you for sure had plenty of water, then fine. But, and even then, there's still a fair amount of salt there. So I just, I would worry about it. Uh, humic acid, fine. You can do that in furrow. Uh, you know, if there's some other biological or something that you wanted to use, fine. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be putting dry fertilizer in furrow. No way. Two by two, four by four, whatever broadcast, strip till, deep band, all fine for dry fertilizer. I just don't like it in furrow. All right. Thanks for the question, Ed. We got this one from Bill, and Bill is a gardener here in South Dakota. He said, I've got a pretty large home garden, and each year I have maple trees and I've got ash trees that I take the leaves and I've been mulching them in my garden. So I end up with four Great. to six inches of leaf, dry leaves. It's really cut down on my weeding and watering. That It's been great. Yep. However, I've noticed that my production is going down in spite of adding a 10-10-10 fertilizer. The leaves uh, are great for feeding earthworms, but I can't eat worms, and I need to bump up my crop yields. Just wondering, how would you handle it with excess organic material in my planting zone? <laughs> well, I just had just mentioned the last question, uh, strip till for a second. Honestly, when you have all that there and you're where we farm or where you garden, the soil's cold and it needs to be warmed up if you want to get better production in a lot of cases. So what we do is we do, uh, and we turned all our no-till ground into strip till ground. So yep. we're yep. tilling he's, he's in that tilling zone. It. He's tilling her up. Wait, I thought you'd... You didn't say tillage, did you? Did, did I, yeah, did I the miss leaves that? Get, leaves get tilled in in the fall. Now, here's the thing. With Wait. I didn't, 
I thought that was completely, I thought you said this was helping a lot on. Well, he said he's using it as a mulch to cut down on the weeding and then he's tilling those leaves in in the fall. So he said, we were talking about uh, the the excess organic material down in the planting zone in our crops. And he was wondering what our solution was because he's got all that organic material, the leaves that are down in his, where he's seeding because he's tilled them in the ground. Oh, that's completely different than where I thought we were going. I thought that he had that left on the soil surface in the spring, and then he's, well, I didn't hear the tillage part. Okay, so there's two different ways. Let's say you leave it on the surface. That's a whole different problem than if you're tilling it in. Yeah, and we don't like, you know, four to six inches worth of stuff laying on the soil surface. That's what I thought how the question read. If you're saying, well, down below the ground for four to six inches, it's some dirt and a lot of this organic material. What's the problem there? Well, the problem could just simply be seed to soil contact. So it's nice to mix a little bit of residue in, but you start mixing crazy amounts of residue in the, in the dirt. And now you're creating enormous air pockets and we can't have that next to our seed. We've got to have good seed to soil contact so we get good germination. But other than that, I'm going to assume if you're putting massive amounts of residue in there, it's low on nitrogen. Yeah, you've and, got a high amount of carbon right. and a low amount of nitrogen. So your carbon and nitrogen ratio is, is ridiculously off. high, like 60 yep. or 80 to 1. So all you need to do is get more nitrogen out there right. and you can turn that around and Get more biology going. I love that you've got all those earthworms going. It sounds like you're doing a lot of great soil health things. There are some microbial products that could potentially be used, but for for a garden, I'm I'm just looking at nitrogen as well. Find some nitrogen fertilizer and see if you can can get that breakdown sped up. Uh, thanks for the question, Bill, and good luck to you. Got this one from Shane, who's in southeast Nebraska. He said, "I'm I plan on broadcast spreading map." potash and zinc with a dry spreader in the spring and some ag lime. We don't have a way to do strip till now. I've got a field with a large weed bank of mare's tail and pigweed and winter annuals, and it's going to be half corn and half beans. I want to use E3 beans. What would you do for a herbicide program? And then also if I do some tillage, should I apply my pre as a pre-plant or pre-emerge application after planting? Okay, so the weed con- the weed control question is the main thing. What was it? Mare's tail, pigweed, and what else? Mare's tail and pigweed in oh, winter annuals. He wants to do annuals, half corn, half beans. To me, I would go extend flex. I would use dicamba. That way I'd have that dicamba available in both crops. But you could do the True. E3 on one side. It's just on the corn side. What are you going to burn that down with? Yeah, but you could use, uh, let's say it was smart stacks corn. Now you could do Liberty on both sides. Yeah. Well, if you did tillage, you'll wipe out well, the winter annuals. So yeah. that that would be a big okay. plus for but, you. But here's the thing. I we're, we're not ever going to recommend the same herbicide there. We're probably going to recommend Verdict at at least 10 ounces on the corn side, pre, and use the three pre's, Metribuzin, a yellow, and... Uh, uh, a PPO, either Authority or Valor, on the soybean side. You get that good pre out, now you're in good shape. Post on the corn, you know, I'm still going to go either status or probably an HPPD since you're right next to beans. On soybeans, uh, you know, obviously you can go the 2,4-D or the Liberty. And if you went Smart Stacks corn, you could just do Liberty and the whole thing. That'd make it easier, less drift risk. All right, thanks for the question, Shane. We appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.